The UN says that humanity stands on the brink of catastrophic man-made climate change. But is it true? Not a chance. But we do stand on the brink of catastrophic government policies that threaten to ruin the nation our forefathers built and defended against tyranny. So what drives the climate scare, Jay? Besides simple ignorance, the scare is driven by corporate greed and the desire of governments to control all aspects of our lives, Tom. Is this part of something more sinister? Indeed it is. Whether it's climate change or a pandemic or socialism, it really means sacrificing your rights and accepting the tyranny of the fourth branch of government, the bureaucracy. It must be stopped. This is The Other Side of the Story with Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris of the International Climate Science Coalition. It's not often that we have a guest on our show more than once. And today's interview with Dr. Peter Brigham is even more uncommon as we had him on the program only two weeks ago. <laughs> Jay, so why have we invited Dr. Bregan back on so soon? after our previous interview with him. Well, I don't think there is an issue right now any more important to the American public than the uh, the vaccine question to take more vaccines or not to what has been the impact of the vaccines. And uh, there is no question that with his new 600 page uh, book pointing out that the vaccines have made us the uh, prey in a, in a plot to control the public, which is uh, very dangerous. Uh, we wanted our audience to uh, hear him once more, and I'll open up. Uh, I'll open up by talking about my own uh, personal situation. Uh, until last October one, I considered myself the healthiest eighty-five-year-old on the planet. I had never been in a doctor's office that wasn't an orthopedic surgeon. I didn't have a doctor. I had never taken a prescription drug. But uh, I had taken the two vaccine shots uh, eight months earlier. And uh, then on October 1st, I got COVID very seriously. I ended up in the hospital uh, for two weeks. They had to find me doctors and figure out that virtually all the organs of my body were impacted and, and uh, how to deal with them, which they did successfully. I'm happy to say I recovered uh, totally. It took me three weeks of zero energy to come back. And uh, I'm back to my normal schedule of working full time, bicycling uh, two hours every day indoors or out, swimming three miles once a day, which I have already done today. So I'm, I've gotten over <laughs> wow. it all. And I'm fit. I'm taking an awful lot of having never taken a prescription drug. I'm now taking a half a dozen and uh, I, I assume they're working and keeping my organs going. But I did something uh, in the last few weeks. Uh, my wife and I were scheduled to go on a cruise from Rome to Turkey to Greece to Jerusalem. And it required taking a booster vaccine. I inquired of uh, experts like Dr. Bragan on uh, whether it would be wise, considering my record, take a uh, another vaccine shot. And uh, all three of the experts that I knew and consulted with, none of them just gave me an opinion about it. They all said, don't you dare take that extra shot or get on a ship with 4,000 people 
and go to a bunch of, uh, of foreign countries. So uh, it turns out getting to meet Dr. Bragan and understand that he knows more about the virology and the background of all the things going on was absolutely terrific. Our first show with him is on podcast. Anyone can get it. And uh, we invited him back and uh, we think uh, this will be as uh, terrific. So I want to start off the show almost with a conclusion if uh, Dr. Bragan will make it. And the conclusion would be, I think, to admonish our entire audience not to take any more vaccines because it would appear to me that you and others have shown that the risk of vaccines relating to COVID are more hazardous than the COVID itself. So will you address that, Dr. Bragan? Well, first, it's really good to be back again with both of you. It was a wonderful show. And let me mention the name of the book. I don't think we've mentioned the, uh, the book by my wife and I is COVID-19 and the Global Predators. We are the prey. It's sold over about 120,000 now, which is amazing because we had the self-publisher. We knew no publisher was going to put it out. And it covers uh, really the global predators who are behind all of this. So right now we're talking about the end result of the very carefully laid plans by global predators who 10 years ago, 12 years ago now, starting with the announcement by Bill Gates that this was the decade of the vaccine 10 years ago, 12 years ago now. And he was the richest man in the world at the time and had been for many years, actually, unlike now. And uh, he was working with the second or third uh, richest man in the world at the time. They're not in partnership anymore. And so this was a clarion call for uh, all kinds of predatory financial and uh, corporate people to say the vaccines are going to be amazing and it's going to be a tremendous way to make a lot of money. And huge investments started to pouring in. Gates created a special foundation in addition to his regular one just for the vaccines called CEPI, C-E-P-I, for the development of the vaccines. He started working with BARDA by 2015, which is a big government agency that is pumping so much money into the vaccines. And eventually, for his private organization, just to give you some vaccine background on why this is so bad, for his private CEPI, well, it's a public, it's a it's a foundation, but it's it's Bill Gates's. They hired the the uh, as a lifetime CEO for his vaccine organization. They hired the former head of the U.S. agency that would be funding the all of the uh, vaccines, uh, the rush platforms, the uh, all the stuff that Trump was mistakenly so excited about that he thought was original with him and he was doing a great job. It was all set up for, for decades. Right. And then they trained the new head of BARDA and got him appointed. That's how deep the tongs were into the federal government. They worked with the FDA on their business plan for the vaccines, which we have in the book. We call it the master plan. So there was, I would say, outright evil behind this whole thing from the beginning. It was a huge money-making operation, a huge power operation. And here may be the saddest part of all, Jay. Uh, it was a population control effort. 
I've never in my life until COVID-19 three years ago looked at any of this stuff. I mean, I literally was a, a, a probably one of the world's busiest medical experts looking at the pharmaceutical industry. So I knew that, and a, but I'm a psychiatrist. It was about psychiatric drugs. I knew how corrupt they were. But I had no idea uh, about these larger forces, which Ginger and I did a lot of work uncovering and other people now publishing good books about it too. I had no idea that there were people who actually were devoted to having fewer people in the world. I would have thought that was like some crazy notion. There are deep convictions within the, the deep state that there are too many people, must get rid of the people. Bill Gates, of course, has made these little funny jokes about it, but he has a population control segment on his website. Let me interject just for a second, uh, Peter, that you were not aware there were people trying to control the size of the population. It really goes back to 1962 when uh, Paul Ehrlich wrote a book called The Population Bomb. Yeah. And uh, it was the beginning of many, many evil people deciding there were too many people on the planet. We needed to get rid of them. And now it brings us right up to an organization, you know, the World Economic Forum, that is working very hard to eliminate people. And so COVID uh, that you now explain goes back more than a, a decade was uh, certainly a, a good way uh, to really put into, into play uh, a plan to get rid of people. Now, we covered this two weeks ago, but what was the role of the, the Wuhan lab in, in China in unleashing the disease? I am sure that our audience remains confused uh, as to whether this started with China and then moved forward. You've already explained that uh, we have Americans that were behind it uh, long ago. Were they in, in concert with uh, the Wuhan lab and the Chinese from the beginning? Yes. And it's, a, it's all very globalist. The, the scientists around the world, the journal editors, the head of medical associations, and they all deeply pride themselves in their globalism, in the fact that they are internationalists, not American first, uh, globalism first. And since China has the biggest, uh, the Communist Party has the biggest new market for everybody, it doesn't matter whether you're a sports franchise, uh, whether you're a company like Nike or just one of the top 10 tech companies or one of the top 10 billionaires, um, pretty much we've been able to track. And that's why our book is so beyond COVID-19. We're tracking the globalists essentially in COVID-19 and the global predators. They all want business in China and they all prefer the Chinese business model which is uh, we can do anything we don't want. We don't have uh, a Congress. We don't have all the checks and balances or the courts. Uh, Xi Jinping and his assigned people can make any arrangement you want. Come to China. Um, they don't say we're corrupt, but they're basically very corrupt. And you can just buy your way into any situation you want. This is how it works. And so they all want to work with these top-down governments. And they all see the U.S. government this is so hard to just talk about flippantly. They see the U.S. government as the obstacle if it's a freedom-loving, patriotic, God-fearing, Judeo-Christian society, it will not accept globalism. So when and they know that they'll stand up and say, no, we're America first. And so they knew they had to get all around that. 
And even with Trump in office, they had people so well placed in the bureaucracy that they managed to get by him. I hope he's getting wiser, get by him and convince him to work with the prearranged victors in who was going to have the vaccines. Because Bill Gates arranged way ahead of time that the two vaccines that would be approved in the U.S., and of course, they didn't get normal approval, were Pfizer and Moderna. In fact, he invested in both and helped develop Moderna. So he actually picked them, knew who they were going to be six, seven, eight, ten years. We don't know how long ahead, but at least five, at least five, six years ahead. And so what we're seeing now, and you asked me such a specific question, and I'm trying to give the background for it because it's such an outlandish conclusion to come to if you don't know the background, which is the FDA is now nothing more than a market marketer for the global predators. That's it. CDC, marketer for global predators. Uh, then you go back up the chain to say the World Health Organization. It's even more of a marketer for the global predators because it's two biggest controllers are uh, Bill Gates from the Western area and uh, Xi Jinping from communist China. They control uh, the World Health Organization. So you're in this situation in which the two most brutal kinds of empires, the Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, uh, the Rockefellers, the, all the big trust companies, all, all of which we go into, they're on the Western side, and then you got the communists on the Eastern side, and they're all working together essentially to destroy America. Because well, then, Peter, the, let, let me again interject for our audience something I've said. Many I hope this times. isn't too fast, too much. Go ahead. No, no. Uh, you point out very clearly that uh, the United States freedom loving country with capitalism does stand in the way of the globalist movement that is uh, run around the world, especially with uh, China. And the reason is that all of these rich and powerful people can only control society through communism uh, or a form of communism. A form, some form, collectivism. Right. Mm. Exactly. Capitalism doesn't allow it. And the reason most of our billionaires jump in and really become communist sympathizers and work on these programs is they have everything money can buy. The only thing they don't have is power. Uh, they've all made a lot of money, so they think they're smarter than everyone else in the room, which is usually not true. They, they mm. have generally a narrow knowledge, but they support communism, which will allow them to control and, and, and power the world. Because after all, it's, it's no fun if you can have everything you want. There's nothing uh, to drive for. So they are all that way, and you, you've absolutely described it perfectly. But I want to go back to the disease itself and uh, have- Yeah, you asked me a very specific question, and I, uh, yeah. Well, no, no, you, you've done great. You've done great. <laughs> I, want to, I want to move a little bit, and we'll yeah. get back to it, but I want to move to the medical aspects of, of COVID. Thousands have died of COVID. Were they mostly elderly with other medical conditions or is it across the board uh, a serious illness? Well, no, it's it's not even probably across the board. It's not as serious as the flu because the flu kills children and it tends to kill some people of all ages. And then like any respiratory illness, pretty much, it will afflict people like you and me who are older and uh, you didn't have vulnerabilities. I have some, 
uh, but it'll afflict older people and the more vulnerabilities they have, the more afflicted they will be. But its overall death rate uh, was uh, lower, especially if it had been treated properly, lower than the death rate for the flu on a serious, a serious flu. But we don't really know exactly what would have happened if it had been treated properly as um, Zev Zelenko, my friend who's gone now, and Peter McCullough and Lee Vliet. These folks uh, developed treatment models which spared, you know, somewhere between 75 and 95% of the deaths with early treatment. So whatever figures you have of deaths, they're vastly in, uh, inflated because they weren't treating people properly and we still aren't. And that's, again, you can't understand that without understanding the very brief description I gave you of the global predators. They don't mind if people die. So now the CDC is not even counting the VAERS deaths. And when they have counted them, they include auto accidents where you have a test for, we show positive for a test for COVID, which isn't even any good. So the whole idea of deaths was not a problem to these people. Now, let me specifically answer the question you asked, because it's partly how Ginger and I got into all of this. We were debating whether to get in. We'd spent our lives looking at the psychiatric uh, drug companies, uh, you know, the, the, the parts of them that were selling psych drugs. I was known, have been known as uh, very proudly the conscience of psychiatry, which means that I'm not very much liked by psychiatrists in general. <laughs> being, being their conscience. And we didn't know at our age, because I'm a year older than you are, I'm 86. We didn't know if we wanted to enter into uh, this big fray. And while we were discussing it, Ginger went ahead and decided she's going to research it. And she's researching it. And she comes and brings me a paper. And it's about um, March of uh, 2020. And uh, it's a paper she has found. And she's actually puzzled by it because right now everybody's saying that there's no reason to believe this virus could have been made in the Wuhan Institute. The Wuhan Institute can't make this kind of virus. Nobody can make this kind of virus. This is from nature, from nature, spontaneous, <laughs> deadly, horrendous nature producing this, this terrible, frightening thing. And so we'd better get out of nature and, you know, live in huts and all that other stuff really withdraw from the world because, look, the, the world's so dangerous. And Ginger's got this paper, and in the title of the paper, which is a 2015 paper, available for any scientist in the world to find within half an hour or less. It didn't take Ginger very long. To, she's a good researcher to find it once she zeroed into the concept. And it's all about making SARS-CoV viruses in a lab. Hmm. So... Well, you know, where was the New York Times? Where, where was everybody? So we're very ignorant at this point. We've never, none of, neither of us have ever thought about, quote, conspiracy theories before. So we look at the paper and uh, we find it very interesting because very clearly they are taking harmless bat viruses in this article and they're turning them into a deadly SARS-CoV viruses. That's what they're calling them five years uh, before the uh, for the outbreak in China. So then we look, I mean, we were really this naive. Well, wait, there are two Chinese people who are in on this American research. Who are they? 
Well, one is a Sheeling, Sheeling Lee or something like that. I forget right now, but she's a, a very famous researcher adored by the Western press and Western scientists. So they call her the Batwoman. And we look up and say, well, you know, what, what is she? What? Oh, her, her credential on the article is Wuhan Institute. And she's head of a, the lab that's dealing with these kind of viruses. Then there's another guy there, a Chinese. Well, who is he? Oh, he's the head of the whole virology thing at the Wuhan Institute. And then we look at, well, who are the Americans? And we didn't know that, that uh, Fauci was uh, uh, deeply involved with North Carolina, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Well, so there's a whole bunch of guys from Chapel Hill. There's another guy from Harvard. Wait a minute. There's another guy from Switzerland, another guy from the FDA. Everybody knows we're making viruses. And then we look up who's funding it. It's all in the same article. You'll get the end acknowledgements who's funding it. And um, of course, several American places, but the infamous NIAD, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease with Fauci is funding it. It's like all in one package and everybody's debating it and they're still debating it. Hmm. And then we look ahead and we find a 2016 article. Now we're tracking the North Carolina group and and superficially there's no Chinese involved. So then we look at the acknowledgments and they're thanking Xing Lili for helping them develop the spike protein and sending them materials from China. So this was a collaborative effort. Then we look a little further and, and, uh, and we're really getting suspicious now. So we, start, we really start researching. We find out that there have already been four known leaks of SARS-CoV viruses, SARS-CoV viruses, going back to 2003, 2004, when they had a pandemic that started in China. So they not only know that it was made in the lab, these lying, disgraceful human beings like Fauci, they, they're lying, they know, they, they made it in the lab, so they know this, they financed it. They also know that the place, that the Chinese uh, places are not reliable and they leak. They already know that. So it became obvious that something really horrible was going on, that we couldn't trust at all, that all these people were colluding. And um, we got to work and we did COVID-19 and the global predators. But we did not expect what's unfolded. I still get up every morning not expecting it. The big deal right now is don't let your children get these shots. The, I love uh, it. I, I, that, that's exactly what I was hoping you would say to make it clear that this is not an opinion for our audience. It's an admonition to our audience. Tom, you had a question. Yeah, sure. Can you tell us why they actually are developing these viruses? Well, one of the arguments is that you need to know how to treat the virus when it comes out of nature. Mm -hmm. So you go in and you take these bat virus caves and on my honor, there are no known serious pathogens ever to come out of those places. Mm -hmm. And you make believe that that place is a hellhole for humanity, and then you get to play with viruses. Now, the deep state and the Department of Defense wants this because you're developing weapons, but you're also developing uh, vaccines which are defensive weapons against attack. So that would be rational 
if you weren't doing it with the main people who are going to attack you, the Chinese. <laughs> yeah. So it makes no sense at all. All right, and, I've got two. I've got two connected questions, so that our audience knows whether to be afraid or not. One is a little bit unrelated. During the major COVID attacks, ventilators were absolutely the the cure. Although most people appear to have died on ventilators, how important were the thousands of ventilators that were created to treat uh, the elderly? during the worst part of the epidemic. And I'll make it a two-part uh, question. And the other half is, where are we now in terms of the fear of further illness from different strains of the disease? Well, let me go to the, the most important one. If you take ivermectin on an irregular basis, even, you reduce by like 90 to 100% the chances of getting a SARS-CoV virus. Go to truthforhealth.org. It has the latest information on preventive treatment. And a very wonderful woman, Lee Valid, who wrote an introduction to our book, is created truthforhealth.org. And Peter McCullough, who also wrote an introduction to our book, is their medical person. So we know these folks very, very well. And they will have the latest up-to-date information also on where to find physicians. So you can get on the phone today uh, through their, them. You can also find uh, the same information in the start of our book, but I want people to know they don't have to get the book. You just go to toothforhealth.org, but you can get it in the book as well. And you'll be able to find a physician who will treat you and give you preventive hydroxychloroquine, but it's looking more and more like ivermectin. And you will be so much safer. And along with, uh, for example, I take quercetin, which is a milder and a very, very safe over-the-counter medication. And I take vitamin D and I take vitamin C and a couple of other things that come from their preventive protocols. And you can protect yourself. And I, everybody, everybody in our age group, probably 65 and up, we read some of McCullough's work, I'm not a true virologist. I'm not treating people, not a treating person, but you can find out all you want from them on the truth for health. And as I said, McCullough ran over the book and added to it and so on. There's almost no reason to die of this disease, of these diseases. And they're going to get weaker, not stronger, because it is a matter of evolution. And I know some, some wonderful Christians, they just have trouble with finding a way that God is involved in evolution, but I don't have any problem with that as a scientist. And um, I mean, so God breathes, breathes, breathes life into the whole process. But so, so, sorry if, to interrupt, but you're actually saying then that ivermectin should be taken before you have the virus. Oh, absolutely. If you're at all vulnerable, if you're in in the upper age groups, absolutely. But get the real details from, you know, the uh, find the actual guys doing the treatment and you'll find them in our book and you'll find them on truthforhealth.org. And the latest results with ivermectin are stunning. Very large follow-ups, thousands of people involved. And then if you get the disease, then you, you do the treatment daily and it's like five or six days of treatment. Mm -hmm. One of my family members, uh, not anybody I live with, um, 
called us and, and she and her boyfriend got a, a fever, all the symptoms. They also had a positive, which is not very reliable, but a positive result. We got them in touch with the uh, frontline doctors who are one of the groups that will do this kind of thing. And they immediately within a day got, um, back then it was um, hydroxychloroquine and they were, my family was feverless and better in 48 hours. And many doctors who treat had told me that. And I just, you know, to see it in front of my own eyes was astonishing. Is there, um, are, there, are there side effects that people should know about concerning uh, ivermectin? Well, I'm an expert on adverse drug effects, testifying court all, 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 all the time. And these are two of the safest, oldest drugs in the world. Yeah, <laughs> they're so um, safe. They're safer. Yeah, I, they're actually probably safer, certainly, than aspirin. Oh, wow. Explain what the ventilators were. Uh, was that an overreaction to manufacture thousands of them? Well, I've I think understood. every place you look, people are making money. And the people who have millions and millions or billions and billions of dollars, they have all kinds of inroads. The Chinese stimulated the idea that these must be wonderful because they monopolized the market. They actually purchased every single one of the ventilators available in the world early on. And that made everybody else want to get the ventilators. I mean, it's, I mean, can't you just see these guys concocting all this stuff? Then the ventilators were going to help the uh, healthcare workers. The healthcare workers were terrified. So they thought if a more closed system rather than plain old oxygenation was used, uh, a circulating system, they would be safer. And it actually killed the patients because it's recirculating disease. It was not a good thing at all. And uh, and besides, they they and they are still in hospitals today are murdering patients for this whole conglomerate, and they get incentivized because if the patient has COVID or you can fake the patient has COVID, they get a lot more money in the hospital and the doctors. If the patient dies, you get more money of COVID if you can just put COVID down. So they they're incentivizing turning hospitals into death camps. And you can do that. You incentivize and it will come. I mean, that would be a, a new phrase. You incentivize yeah. and they will come. So this terrible system is going on. And only the cruelest people in the world would give these these vaccines to children. We're already getting a lot of reports of the increased death rates in children above the normal death rates. We're, we know that children get the myocarditis inflammation of the heart. We know that uh, it's always serious. We know that you, the heart, if it loses muscle, does not regenerate it. You have to compensate building the old heart muscle up and stuff. It's a terrible situation. It is, it is blinding in how, how bad it is. We can't trust the medical establishment anymore. Doctors are terrified. Myself as a physician, on occasion when I go to the doctor now, or I, 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 take, I go with my wife, or I go with my mother-in-law, and um, if I mention, uh, you know, they say, what are you doing? Well, I'm writing books. What are you writing about? Oh, and I said, I have have a book that re-examines COVID-19 and panic or anger crosses the doctor's face and they don't want to wow. talk about it. 
Yeah. Well, we have to go for a commercial break now, but we are actually talking to the author of that book, called, along with his wife, uh, Ginger, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. So we'll be back with Dr. Peter Bregan right after the break. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulpidone iodine-based nasal spray, Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe, yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared, sea level rise has not been unusual, and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America Climate Plan, a plan based on real science that responds to the real-world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure, a plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com. So we're back with Ithaca, New York-based psychiatrist, Dr. Peter Bregan, known as the conscience of psychiatry. He's the author, along with his wife, Ginger Ross Bregan, of the COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey book, which is going to be linked under the podcast when it goes up on Monday. So Dr. Bregan, I have friends who are having a little conflict with their spouse about whether they should get their babies and their toddlers actually injected. So what would you say is the comparison of the risk of COVID for a toddler or a baby in comparison with the risk of the vaccine? Well, there's zero risk uh, from COVID for the babies and the toddlers. It's immeasurable. It's so small. And the risks are multiple for the children. We don't have in figures, but certainly it's in the area of a percent or two deaths that you're going to be facing against zero. Wow. So you just want to stay away from this. I don't know the exact death rates. I don't think we have good studies on it, but we know that the infants will get um, the um, the heart disease, but there's a much huger problem with the infants. We know with certainty there's a high rate of sterility hmm. in females who get this at any time. It is literally a sterilization jog. It's a part of Bill Gates and all the rest wanting less population because they knew it ahead of time. They mm. knew they were getting increased stillbirths on the testing. They knew they were getting infertility in animals of quite high rates, like a third in the animals. So you are introducing your little infant boy or girl, we know more about the girls, to a high rate of sterility in the future. Um, the, the spike protein, which is in all these vaccines, some of the other toxic materials may not be in one or another, 
they all have a predilection for the ovaries. The eggs in the ovaries, the ovum, they are limited in number at birth. There's a certain number. So it's not like sperm, which we guys just, you know, we, we've, we've got our, you know, endless stuff there. But, but, but the women, these are protected, you know, they're, they're covered up and they're protected in the female body. And this stuff goes at a higher rate than to most other parts in the body, the spike protein, into the ovaries. Do not give this stuff to your female or male children. Don't do it. Take them out of school if you have to. Learn to uh, homeschool. It's an amazing process. We did it for a couple of years, one of our mm -hmm. children. It'll change your life. There's going to be a time when people are going to want to know whether you took the vaccine or not before you get married because they're mm -hmm. going to be so concerned about sterility. That mm -hmm. is, is going to be enormous. Already birth rates are declining worldwide. It's already happening. So, and again, folks, this is like a situation that is so ghastly. It is hard to wrap one mind around, but it is occurring. Mm -hmm. It's definitely going on. So no, do not, absolutely don't saddle anybody who's 18 and under who, who uh, with this at all. And then I, we need to stop taking them. Some countries are beginning to backtrack on taking them. Israel, which was so proud of being almost 100% vaccinated, hardly anybody's lining up their kids there. They're learning. Mm -hmm. It's like a layer now, of horror. When, when you talk about the COVID vaccine, not to take them, uh, where do you stand on our annual flu vaccine or a pneumonia vaccine or a vaccine for uh, if you've had chicken pox in your youth? What about the raft of other vaccines? Are you downgrading their efficacy as well? I'm not a vaccinologist with broad knowledge of all the vaccines. You've got other people you can call in for that. But I can tell you just as a physician, I stopped taking the flu shot years ago. I, I decided it, it had more adverse effects than, than help. It had such a low efficacy rating. I did stop the flu shots. I have myself had the, uh, the vaccination for the um, chickenpox virus. Um, I've had the one for pneumonia, and I have not researched them. So one of the things I will tell you is what I really am specialist in and what I'm not. I, you know, no I, I, I want to stop you right there and appreciate that so much. One of the problems that we have with prominent, knowledgeable people in one subject, people praise them and they get out of their lane and start saying things about things they know nothing about. So I want to point out to our audience uh, how terrific you are, Dr. Bragan, is when we get out of your area of expertise, you're quick to admit it. There are not enough people yeah. that are like that. Uh, I am one. I'm making a living as a lecturer the last 40 years, and I actually love to get asked a question I know nothing about so I can explain that that's out of my area of expertise. I could look it up for you and you can get back yeah. to me. Uh, but uh, my wife doesn't believe me, but I don't think in, in any of the hundreds of lectures I've given, 
I've ever BS the audience about something I was not sure of. I want to go to a simple question for you. Everybody in the audience probably by now looks at Dr. Fauci as a criminal. How did he manage to stay in a superior position in government for over 40 years? He sucked up and deceived every president. Hmm. Wow. That's it. Man's a villain of unbelievable proportions. I have a chapter that has a whole bill of uh, accusations against him, as I would have done for, say, a drug company, and will still do when I do drug company negligence. Um, I, I do a, a medical negligence, a lot of work in that area, have my whole professional life on behalf of, of wounded patients. And um, so I did a whole chapter of that on Fauci. And then at the same time, uh, Robert F. Kennedy came out with his book, The Real Anthony Fauci. And um, it's so interesting. Here are two minds looking at the same evil. And um, I have the broad view and he's got an intense view that, I mean, the man was villainous in every breath he took. Why didn't Trump fire him? Well, we have a lot of whys about Trump. I have tried to answer that question. I've uh, talked to different people. Uh, my friend Paul Alexander was on the um and everybody should, you know, go to Paul Alexander's Substack. He uh, he was actually on the uh, HHS consultation committee for the coronavirus to President Trump. Paul was asked to come. He couldn't believe it. He was uh, he was in Canada, Canadian, and uh, looking for American citizenship. And he came down to Washington, and they never let him function. The people around Trump never let him function. They actually took away all his salary. He got his badge so he could, he could you know, be in that role. They didn't pay him and he stayed anyway. And they just never found a way. And he really never got input in. And then you have, Burks has written her new book and she was the, turns out really the major manipulator used by Fauci. In the book, she proudly describes herself as a conspirator. She doesn't use the word, but she consciously rewrote memos written by the Trump team when she didn't like them and then put them out as reports to the public, knowing that nobody would think she would ever rewrite them and, you know, check her work. She talks about this. She talks about going to the states and giving them different advice than Trump and telling them to follow it. And they, all the Democrats, of course, were very happy to do that and to follow Burks. So you have these conniving evil people around Trump. Now people are going to laugh because they, they paint such a negative picture of Trump. But I think Trump, since he was in real business, my wife says, look, Trump's building buildings. If you're corrupt, the building falls down. You can't do that. I don't think Trump had any idea how corrupt human beings are. I mean, I'm pretty sophisticated because look at what I do. All this medical legal work got me so sophisticated as to evil. I knew how evil the drug companies could be and all the big ones were evil. That leaves me, let, let me move back uh, more personal with you. I'm sure our audience would like to know more about what your practice has been through your career leading up to your uh, pouring yourself into this uh, COVID-19 uh, problem. Can you describe your practice and, and let the audience know how you have spent this very lengthy professional career? 
Well, by the time I got out of training, you know, I was uh, anticipating being the youngest president of the American Psychiatric Association. You know, I was really, I went directly from my finishing my training, which was, I had a Harvard undergraduate, part of my residency training at Harvard, but I began to really smell a rat when I got to the Harvard training program, because in one year, I thought I was going to a psychologically oriented program. And when I got there, it was a pharmaceutical industry program. So I, and that was in 1962, wow. one year. Wow. And so they were cutting edge. The best is the worst in, in medicine today, especially psychiatry, but medicine in general, because the higher up you are, the more you're a drug company lackey, you're getting money from them, you're getting praise from them, you're getting publications from them. In fact, you don't even have to write your own articles when you get high enough up to drug companies to write them for you. Oh, and wow. um, it's really true. I mean, it's, really, wow. it's just I bizarre. It. Yeah. So um, I got a wonderful appointment to the National Institutes of Mental Health. Um, still without people quite appreciating what I was exactly thinking, even though I was telling people along the way. And um, at NIMH, I, I was there just a, maybe a year or two ahead of Fauci at NIH. And it's an interesting intersection because I got there and realized that it was becoming a pharmaceutical institute and I actually had no place in organized medicine. Never mind being the president, being the first president of the APA. I was <laughs> no place in organized psychiatry, not medicine. Organized psychiatry. Now it's organized medicine. It's gotten so bad, but organized psychiatry. And Fauci arrives and sees the same thing I saw: pharmaceutical industry taking over, and he made himself rich and powerful by staying. It's really interesting because we're almost the same age. I think I'm a couple of years older than him, at eighty six. Um, does he ever and get in touch with So you? I went into private practice and I never started a person on a drug who's never been on them my entire practice. And I've been in practice since 1968. And I work with people as a person. What as a person can I tell you, inform you, learn from you, help you understand yourself so that you don't quote get over a disease so that you just get a great, great life. And I'm not even using mm -hmm. a disease model in my practice. The idea is how do you learn what happened to you in your childhood, what's happening to you now, what you're dealing with in the world that's kept you from being the person you want to be. That's what I'm, I do for people. And especially I want to help you have a love life because believe me, you can handle almost anything if you, if you have a loving partnership. You know, I work with people who I'm a last resort doc. They hear about me after being having terrible times. They start looking around. They find there's somebody who's different. So that often the people I see are on multiple drugs and I take them off. So I'm a medication expert, but I'm an expert taking them off mostly. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't restart people on them. And I will talk to people like who've had like three marriage therapies and they haven't worked. And the first question I'll ask them is, um, do you two love each other? They'll look at me and they'll know they're in a different world. They'll say, we've had three therapies and nobody ever asked us if we love each other. Mm -hmm. So they wow. certainly weren't helping you love each other. Oh gosh, no, they were helping us communicate about what? Uh, I don't know. Well, <laughs> and literally it becomes this night and day. Now the beauty right now is that I'm still seeing patients, not as many as I used to, um, and most of them, I'm Jewish, my wife's Christian, most of them are these amazing 
Christian couples who are working alongside me in the freedom movement, because the health freedom movement is 90% really serious Christians. It's quite amazing. And then I can help them because I've read the Bible and I appreciate Jesus's teaching. I can help them understand how you bring love into your marriage. And I'm going to help you communicate about in a loving way. That's the key. Mm-hmm. I'm going to help you get rid of all the garbage that gets in your way. And for many people, it's just a stunning effect because they now have a purpose to how they're relating to each other. It's to enhance each other's lives. Mm. Wow. <laughs> and so that, that's how I work. But then I do the legal work, which is the nightmare side. And um, I think that a lot of this was preparing me and Ginger. We thought we were You know, God had prepared us to be a couple that would deal with psychiatry. But I think ultimately they prepared us to be a couple that would deal with freedom and the loss of freedom in America and what we had learned. And because there is another area I'm deeply interested in, which is the, you know, freedom and democracy, constitutional democracy. And what they're after, folks, they want to destroy our democracy, our constitutional democracy. They hate our Bill of Rights. They hate our Constitution. They hate individualism. They hate God. I mean, the Chinese communists have a religion. It's atheism. That's their religion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and all the globalists are something I was thinking of, and I have not quite said it this way before. When we, were th- we were talking about the globalists working with the Chinese. The, the communists have a principle that everybody's heard of, which, which is the end justifies the means. That is, forget about your ethics along the way. If you get what you set out to get, you have behaved, as far as we're concerned, ethically, you got what you wanted. That's the rules of communism, literally. It's defined in Marxism, the end justifies the means. Well, the only way I think you get to be a billionaire, unless somebody gives it to you, is if you have the same philosophy. The end of getting a ton of money is what matters, and the means are not important as long as they're effective. Mm-hmm. So the people who get to be the billionaires, they're not necessarily brilliant. They're cunning. They're shrewd. They're ruthless. They're exactly mm-hmm. like the Chinese communists. Mm. I've used that term uh, all my life to define uh, liberals. I've always defined a liberal as someone who believes the end justifies the means. I was not aware uh, that it was a significant part of communism, but I've seen oh, it. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> yes. I've seen it all my life in, in this country, and they're always liberals. And I grew up learning exactly the opposite. The end never justifies. Never justifies. That's right. Not even sometimes. Never Uh, That's fabulous. I've never said it that way. I think that's a really good thing I'm going to take away is it never justifies the the means. The means are the means. The way to handle the situation we're in, folks, um, is simply to go back to your basic values and live by your basic principles. And for me and for Ginger, we don't know whether America's going to survive, but we know what we're supposed to do, which is to help it survive. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm very confident that it will survive. Uh, obviously, I'm waiting with bated breath for uh, November 8th, when I yes. believe a, a new breed of uh, Republicans are going to defeat enough uh, Democrats to take 
about a 50 vote majority. And then I have also maybe a little bit of a far out uh, idea that after they take the majority in a conclusive way, that uh, Donald Trump will become Speaker of the House. Now, that may shock some people because Donald Trump is not running for a seat in the House. But according to our Constitution, the House can elect anybody they want to be Speaker of the House. Now, you've not read about this. You've not heard. No, no, I've not heard about this. But I really think uh, Mr. Trump is smart enough to figure what would be the most uh, creative and constructive way he could serve the company in the next couple of years other than just running for presidency again. So I'm sure he's smart enough to know that it could happen. And I'm an optimist, so I'll hold on to that happy thought, at least for the next next two months. But I'm very confident that there will be the beginning of a sea change with the November 8th election. And mostly for a reason that a lot of people don't understand, the House of Representatives controls every nickel this government can spend. Right. Mr. Biden can have all the executive orders he wants, but starting with January, after we control the House, none of his executive orders can spend any money. Uh, money that's already been requisitioned can still be spent, but the ability of the House to control the budget is going to have a great role in beginning the pendulum to swing the other way. So uh, I'm, I'm very optimistic that we will survive. And I not long ago uh, listened to a 50-hour audio book on Churchill walking with destiny. Basically, it was his whole life, almost 100 years, two world wars, all kind of terrible things happening, worse than what we have today. And uh, the country survived. England survived. So I remain an optimist. Well, I certainly am an optimist and we're putting our hearts, you know, into trying to, uh, you know, to make our contribution. And I think that, you know, if folks, I want to tell you that this is probably the most fulfilling part of my whole life Mm -hmm. uh, and Ginger's whole life. It's like once we decided to to see who was out there fighting for our freedom and fighting against the COVID-19 oppression, but much greater than that, fighting for a patriotic, uh, you know, God-loving, freedom-loving country. Um, Once we did that, we found ourselves with more good friends than we'd ever had in our lives. And I'm not talking about friends who come to tea, friends all over the world who we're relating to like I'm relating to you today, meeting people like yourself and, and Tom and uh, who are just extraordinary. And this is what you'll find, folks. Just go down to, uh, to you know, start to work on uh, school board meetings or start to work on learning how to supervise an election because we do need a lot of people down there watching these elections learn to uh, run for office or learn to support your sheriff, which is a very important position in the new world uh, uh, that we're in um, right on the ground level. And you're going to meet people in your own town who are wonderful people. We have assistants, even in an extremely progressive town, like I am in, in Ithaca, New York. It's uh, it's like the Berkeley of the East because of uh, Cornell university is here and very, it's, pred- it's when you say progressive, what that means now is it's predatory. 
because they're capitalists, actually. Their model is uh, they're a corporation to make money. I mean, that's Cornell's motto. And, um, and so they're actually corrupt capitalism. And then this corrupt progressivism in, in the sense that it doesn't even have utopian ideals just to you know take advantage of people. So it's and, amoral. Uh, amoral or immoral, one or the other. Mm-hmm. I think they become the same, obviously. So, But you'll meet great people. And you'll meet them in all walks of life. You'll meet them on the farms around Ithaca. I, I couldn't believe I was here for a, a six months and I'm driving along and a farmer's waving to me. My God, one of my good friends, a farmer. What am I, I'm a Jewish boy from Long Island? He's a farmer. So, you know, get, get it, start meeting really good people who care about things. You'll have a much better life if you get involved in the movement. You're going to take risks. They may get to be great risks. They may get to be risks beyond our imagination, but I think we're here for a purpose. And anybody who doesn't have a purpose, I think that God's got a purpose for all of us, which is now is to defend freedom. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We need that, especially here in Canada, where our prime minister is talking about bringing in lots more restrictions if we don't have 80 to 90 percent of the population injected. So <laughs> I'm going to make sure I share this audio with a lot of Canadians. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's very yeah. sad what's going on in Canada. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, Trudeau is the epitome of the globalist folks. He is everything I've been talking about today. Trudeau is the schoolboy trained in it. Oh, yeah. He yeah, hasn't so. got an original idea of his own. They're all being piped in. Yeah, he, he, it's really terrible what's happening in Canada. But I have a feeling as we begin to swing the pendulum back that Canada will move in the same direction. So I'm I'm optimistic for them, too. So this has been an interview with Ithaca, New York-based psychiatrist, Dr. Peter Brigham, known as the conscience of psychiatry. He's the author, along with his wife, Ginger Ross Brigham, of the September 2021 book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. So thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Brigham. Yes, let me tell folks, if you don't want to deal with Amazon, you can get the book on Amazon, you can get the... uh, the, the the spoken book, whatever you call that, and audio book, yeah. book. I'm so old. This is all new technology to me. <laughs> and you you can get the book that goes on the screen and and all of that on Amazon. From us directly, though, you can get the book at a reduced rate in the U.S., not in Canada. Canada, you got to go to one of the bookstores like Amazon. But in the U.S., you can go to our dedicated website, which is wearetheprey.com. Wearetheprey.com, and you can get COVID-19, the Global Predator. It's a dedicated website. If you want to follow our work, go to bregan.com and get our free alerts. We have tens of thousands of people who get these free alerts. They love them so much that it has an incredible opening rate of our our newsletter. And it's uh, done by my wife, and it's just beautifully informative and um you, well, you I'm, really I, learn from I'm, I'm sure many in our audience will do exactly that. And again, thank you. This has just been fabulous. Thank okay. you, guys. Thank you. <laughs> well, this is Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris signing out from the other side of the story. Mm-hmm.